I've shared this story before, but for me, it's such a helpful illustration of what we're going to be talking about today. When I grew up, I grew up on a street called Bitterfield, and it was a long, it was a long slanted hill that we lived on. And as you walked out our front door, there was a porch that extended the length of the house. And if you went out the front door and you turned to the right, you would walk over and there would be this, I guess you'd say a platform of dirt. And this platform of dirt was held together by railroad ties. And so if you walked out onto this platform of dirt and you looked to the right, there would be this six-foot drop-off, very much like this here. And, uh, well, being a boy and watching G.A. Joe, I love to build forts, as I had told you in a previous sermon. And so me and my buddy decided, you know what, we're going to build a fort off of this little cliff here. And so we found a piece of plywood, and we stuck it up there, and we held it up with a two-by-four. And then we found grass clippings from the yard, and we spread it across the top of the plywood to camouflage it. Well, we went on to, to play in the yard, and all of a sudden we hear this, and, uh, and so we come running to see what it is, and we're running over. And, and uh, evidently what had happened was my mom had walked down to the edge of the porch, and she had a rug that she was going to shake out. And she walked on top of the plywood that was camouflaged, didn't realize that nothing was underneath it. And she actually got out there and actually stood up for a little bit. She got up on the plywood, and as she started to shake out the carpet, the two-by-four slipped from under the plywood, and she fell down to the ground. I bring that story up because uh, there are many times in our life where the bottom falls out, doesn't it? Where there is a romantic interest or a business financial proposition or there are family matters and things seem to be going well, but then the bottom falls out. Matter of fact, the bottom always seems to fall out eventually, doesn't it? They never live up to the expectations of what you're hoping. They never satisfy all the deepest longings of your heart. Today, we're going to be looking at how this happens in the life of Jacob and Rachel and Laban and Leah. And so if you would open up your Bibles to Genesis 29, page 23 in the Red Bible, just to catch you up to speed to remind you in the previous chapter, Uh, Jacob is sent out with the blessing from his father. He is sent to Haran to go and find a wife. He's actually escaping because his brother wants to kill him. And so he's running away to Haran to find a wife. And during his journey, he lays down to sleep and he uses a rock for a pillow. And while he is sleeping, the Lord appears to him in a dream. And he sees angels ascending and descending this ladder to heaven, showing God's work on the earth. And God comes to Jacob, and he makes these amazing promises to bless Jacob. And we start to see those come true in this passage today. We're actually going to read all of Genesis 29, but we're going to break it down in chunks, and so we don't have to retain it all at once. But we'll start in Genesis chapter 29. Verse one, and and just to give some credit here, uh, I listened to a couple of sermons by Tim Keller on this that were very helpful. Uh, if you want to find out more about this passage, I'd encourage you to go and listen. They're listed in your bulletin, and you can go and be blessed by those. So read along with me, Genesis chapter twenty-nine. We'll start by reading verses one through fourteen. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well the flocks were watered. 
The stone on the well's mouth was large. And when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, my brothers, where do you come from? They said, we are from Haran. He said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, we know him. He said to them, is it well with him? They said, it is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter is coming with the sheep. (laughs) He said, behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go pasture them. But they said, we cannot until the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water, we water the sheep. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with, his father, with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well, well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. Keep your finger in that page. We'll return to it. Let's pray. God, as we come to this text today, Lord, this is extremely applicable for those who live in America, God. We see there are many desires out there that are pursued, God, but only one that will withstand us, only one that will uphold us, only one that will keep us, only one that will satisfy us, Lord. We pray today, God, that you would help us to be vulnerable and honest about the idols in our life and that we would lay them down and hold on to you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. This past week, my wife and I and our kids, we watched the new Muppet movie. Have you seen the new Muppet movie? Has anyone seen the new Muppet movie? All right. A few Muppets in here. Okay, good. Um, in that in that movie, there's actually quite a few songs. And one of the first songs that is sung in this movie is a song called Lice, a Happy Song. All right. And they're smiling and they're dancing and everything is perfect. And it goes like this. It says, everything is great. Everything is grand. I got the whole wide world in the palm of my hand. Everything is perfect. It's falling into place. I can't seem to wipe this smile off my face. Jacob might have been singing such a song when he came up to that well. You see, his life had been pretty difficult up to this point, mostly to his own deception. But now things were starting to come together. The promises that God had made in his dream were starting to come true. Two of the promises in particular, the first promise we saw in Genesis twenty-eight fifteen, when God promises to Jacob, he says, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. Remember, Jacob was making this 500-mile journey from the homeland, from the promised land to Haran. And he had no money with him. He was sleeping on rocks 
He didn't stay at a Holiday Inn or a Ramada Inn. He certainly couldn't even afford to do it, even if there was such a thing. There were predators out there, both animals and people. He had to find shelter and, and water and food. And yet the Lord was with him and the Lord was providing. He brought him the 500 miles and protected him to the place of Haran. And so God fulfills his promise to be with him wherever he goes. But God is also fulfilling his promise that he made in the verse prior. In 28, 14, he says to Jacob, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. Now, Jacob at this time is a single man. He has no wife at all. And so there doesn't seem to be any future of children, but the Lord provides in this story. It's amazing how God directs Jacob 500 miles to a precise well at the precise time to see the daughter of Laban, to see Rachel, his future wife. You know, it's actually pretty funny when you read through this story because you see Jacob comes up to the well and he asks the boys about Laban and they say, he's well. And then they say, oh, look, here's Laban's daughter coming, Rachel. And Jacob's kind of like, hey, come on, get lost, get lost, get lost, right? Hey, you should be, you should be watering your flocks, take them out to pasture, right? And they said, no, no, we need more shepherds here so that we can move this big stone so our flocks can drink. And then Rachel comes up, and what does Jacob do? He gets He-Man on her, right? Like he picks up this stone that three shepherd boys can't pick up, and he moves it, and he lets her water her flock. He waters her flock for her. And so he's obviously very smitten with this woman. He can move a large stone to water her flocks. She's so excited, she runs back and she tells her father that Jacob is there, the, the son, the son of, what's his, the son of Rebecca, thank you. And Laban gets very excited and says, you are my bone and you are my flesh. And Jacob must be thinking, wow, everything is finally coming together. Everything is becoming perfect like I wanted it to be. But we see that the floor starts dropping out below him. It drops out below him, it drops out below Laban, it drops out below Leah, it even drops out below Rachel. As they chase this American dream that we have, the floor falls out. You know, it's really amazing. We look at the Old Testament and sometimes we get stuck thinking, you know, is that really relevant today? And it's absolutely relevant. You see them pursuing things that we pursue today, things that are not bad things, things that are good things. You see him pursuing things like romance and money and family. All these are good gifts from God. But when they become our God, they become very powerful. And they manipulate us and they change us and they enslave us. And when we pursue them, when we worship them, the bottom always falls out. And so we're going to look at those three topics of romance and money and family. Let's first look and see what it looks like when a hope is built on romance. And we're going to look at this from Jacob's perspective because Jacob is head over heels in love with Rachel. Look in verse 15 with me. It says, And Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak. But Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Let's pause there for a minute. You know, it gives this interesting description of Laban's two daughters, right? It says Leah's eyes were weak. What does that mean? 
Well, it, it doesn't mean that Leah couldn't see good because if that was the case, it would say Leah's eyes were weak, but you know, Rachel could see really, really far, right? And so it's that, it isn't that she couldn't see good. It was that Leah didn't look good. Leah wasn't the most attractive girl, certainly not in her family. She was a bit homely. She maybe even had a distorted eye if this is a play on words. And so Leah wasn't the most pretty of girls. But Rachel, it says, Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. If we were to put it crudely in our own terminology, we'd say she has a nice body and a pretty face, right? Rachel was beautiful, but Leah was not. It goes forward. Verse 18. Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. You know, Jacob is absolutely infatuated with Rachel. He is obsessed with her. He gives this outstanding bride price of seven years of free service to win her. Seven years would have been an excessive amount, maybe double the amount that could have been expected for someone to work for a bride price. But he has to have her. You see, he's had rough life so far, as we've mentioned. You know, he's out on his own. He's away from his family. The only woman in the world that ever loved her, his mom, he will never see again. And he thought, but if I could have Rachel, if I could just have this one girl, everything would be okay again. Everything would be right again. Then my life will be complete. Then my life will be satisfied. If only I have her, then things will be good again. We go on and we see his intent. We even see the crudeness of his desire As we look in verse 21, it says, Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, that I may go into her, for my time is completed. Now, if this statement to you seems brash, that's because it is, right? This is not how you ask ask a father for his daughter's hand in marriage. But he says, Laban, give her to me. I want her. Verse 22, So Laban gathered together all the people of the place, And made a feast, which is a wedding feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? See, In those times, the women would wear this thick veil with a a mesh for their eyes to look out. There would have been a party with lots of alcohol and and there was no electricity. So it would be dark in the tent. So it was easy to pull off this deception, to pull off this switch. And Laban trades Rachel for Leah. And Jacob wakes up in the morning and it says in this very stunning fashion, in the morning, behold, it was Leah. You know, it's so amazing how our romance stories are so similar to Jacob's. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we had the baptism of Seth Hassler. And I was able to have him over to my house Friday night, sit down, talk to him man to man. He's heading off to college, make sure of some things. And, you know, Seth and I are sitting there and we're talking. And I said, Seth, when you go off to college, what's the percent chance you're going to church? That's right, Seth. 
100% chance you're going to church, right? Otherwise, with the love of Jesus, I'm going to come beat you up, right? You're going to church, Seth. Seth, what's the percent chance you're going to marry a woman in the Lord? You're going to marry a Christian woman. That's right, Seth. 100% chance, Seth. Because every marriage I've ever seen, I, you know, I've seen a lot of very, very good marriages, but I have never, ever, ever, ever seen an easy marriage. You see, we marry Rachel, but one morning we wake up with Leah. Romance is deceptive. We think this person can satisfy all the needs in our life. That wasn't supposed to be funny, but. (laughs) Maybe because you understand. We marry Rachel, right? We marry this person who is wonderful and extravagant and beautiful. A person who doesn't smell or make funny noises or have annoying habits or sinful habits. They aren't selfish. They aren't lazy. But then one morning the honeymoon is over and we wake up with Leah, right? And we say, what did I marry? Who did I marry? And we chase after romance, thinking that it will satisfy our deepest longings. But behold, in the morning, it is always Leah. And so we see if we build our hope on romance, the floor falls out underneath us. We also look and see when we build our hope on money or on business success. And we look at this through the eyes of Laban. Laban was a very wise businessman. If you look back in this, in in the end of verse 14, it says Jacob stayed with Laban a month. We actually know Jacob was a very profitable worker for him. Okay. We see that later in the passage, Jacob is a very profitable worker. And it says, Laban said to Jacob, because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me what shall your wages be? Laban is saying, listen, you are making me money. You are my best worker, maybe his only worker. He says, what do I have to pay you to stick around? And Jacob responds in verse 18. He says, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Now, this is the perfect situation for Laban. Laban has a very talented worker in Jacob who is producing him a lot of profit. And he says, what can I pay you, Jacob? And Jacob says, I will work seven years for you for free. Right. That is uh, that's pure profit for Laban. Right. And so the money bags are starting to spin through his head. And he's thinking, yes, this is great. And so Jacob makes this extraordinary commitment to work seven years for free. And Laban's response is so interesting because Laban doesn't come straight out and say yes. Laban says this. He says, it is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. And what Laban is doing is he is creating a fine print. He is sowing seeds of deception, which comes up later. And that's where we pick the story back up in verse 25. Read along with me if you would. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, It is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, which is the wedding ceremony week. And we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob should have read the fine print. Verse 28. Jacob did so and completed her work. Then Laban gave him his daughter, Rachel, to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant, Bilhah, 
to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. You know, this is really an amazing story. The great deceiver Jacob has met his match, hasn't he? The great deceiver Jacob has been out-deceived. And you see the deception of Laban, the greed of Laban has consequences in all his family, just like it did for Jacob. You see the greed of Laban having consequences on Jacob, who has to serve another seven years for free. There's consequences on his daughter Leah, who has to be married to a man who does not love her. There's consequences on his daughter Rachel, who has to share her husband with another, uh, share her husband with her older sister. There's even consequences on the grandkids as they feud and fight against one another. Laban's greed has these, this disastrous effect on the family. First Timothy 6 actually talks about this. It says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it, right? There's no U-Haul trailers attached to a hearse, right? Can't take anything out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, not the money, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And so let me ask you this question. Where is the love of money in your life causing pain and grief like it did for Laban? You know, when Trish and I were first married, uh, we moved down to Columbia, Missouri, and then we moved back up to Bloomer, Wisconsin. And we thought, you know what? Instead of getting a U-Haul truck, let's just buy a pickup truck, right? Let's just buy a pickup truck. Now, I didn't have a job to come up to, at least not a job that paid. She was coming back to a teacher's salary. We were buying a house. We had a house for sale in Columbia, Missouri. It was far beyond our means to buy a pickup truck. But you see, all of us are prone to materialism. All of us are prone to spend more than we make. And we see it hits us in the back end. Like we see with Laban, there are many griefs when we don't when we get stuck in the cycle of building our hope on money and materialism. So we see what a hope looks like built on romance, how it falls apart, how a hope built on money falls apart. Finally, we see a hope built on family. Now you may be saying, okay, I can see how a hope built on money is idolatry. I can see how a hope built on romance is idolatry, but how could a hope built on family possibly be wrong? I mean, family is such a good thing. And you're right. Family is a good thing. It's a great thing given to us by God. But when we take a good thing and make it an ultimate thing, we make it, we put it in God's place. And we see that's exactly what Leah does here. Let's continue with the story in verse 30. It says, so Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, which means see a son. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. 
And she called his name Simeon, which sounds like the Hebrew word for herd. Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, Now, this time, my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi, which sounds like the Hebrew word for attached or cleaved. And so we see in this story of Leah that God has great pity on her that gives her children. But each child is a desperate attempt for her to build this perfect family, to woo her husband, that, to make him love her, to make him be attached to her, to make him listen to her. And every single attempt fails. And she knows it. And that's why she has the next child and the next child and the next child. You see, the fact that Jacob didn't love Leah didn't just sadden her. It didn't just grieve her. It crushed her. She needed the perfect family. That's what her hope was built upon, that her and her husband would have a good relationship, a loving relationship, that the kids would be obedient, that they would be good, that they would have this perfect family. And when that fell apart, she was absolutely crushed. But then something changes in her. And this is the key for unlocking the entire passage. Before we get to that, let me ask you this, because really it's, it's pertaining to all of these. When you look at these characters in this story, which character do you most identify with? Which one do you say, yes, that is a temptation that I have? Do you identify with Jacob and your hope is built on romance of finding that perfect person or maybe finding another person that will satisfy your needs? Are you like Laban where your hope is built and your identity is built on your success in the business world? Or are you like Leah in which you must have this perfect, coherent, peaceful family and then life is okay? You know, I think all of us know deep down inside, we've experienced the fact that when we put our hope in these things, the bottom always falls out. And we, we're left destitute. One of the amazing things is that when God pulls out that two by four, when the bottom falls out, when our family splinters, when our marriage is a wreck, when, when we don't get that business deal we were hoping for, God's grace is working through that situation. You see, when we see that those foundations fall out from underneath us, we look for another foundation. And that's exactly what Leah does. You remember with her first three children, she names them hoping that her husband will now be attached to her, now will love her, now will cleave to her. That is her great desire. But something changes in Leah. Something significant changes in Leah. Because she sees that every time she has a child, the foundation never stays. It always fails miserably. And we see the culmination of this chapter in verse 35. And we see what changes in her. Verse 35, it says, And she conceived again and bore a son. And said, this time, this time, I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing children. Why after this child did she praise the Lord? Why after this child was she so content that she didn't need to have more children? Was it because her husband now finally loved her like she hoped? No. Was it now that she had a perfect family with all of these children? No. What changed in Leah to allow her to praise the Lord even when her own husband hated her? 
See, what changed for Leah, and this is so important for us, no matter what you are chasing, no matter whether it is finances or whether it is romance or whether it is family, the thing that changed in Leah's heart was her audience. What changed in Leah's heart was her foundation. She praised the Lord because she understood the gospel. She praised the Lord because she realized that the eyes of the one who mattered most in the entire universe looked upon her and was ravished by her, delighted in her, overjoyed in her. And you see, this is such good news that the good news of God's love for her outweighed the bad news of her husband's hatred towards her. And so she could praise the Lord even in the midst of a broken family. You know, it's amazing because she names her child Judah. You know who Judah is? We read in Matthew chapter 1, in verse 2, that Judah and Leah are the line of the Savior Jesus Christ. Not Rachel, but Leah was the chosen line from which would come the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. Jesus would come to earth and he would bear our idolatry. He would bear our idols of family and romance and money. He would take on that shame. He would take on our ugliness, our guilt, our sin, and he would pay for it in the cross. He would be rejected by the Father that we might become the beloved of the Lord, that we might become the bride of Christ, that we might be the inheritance of the Lord, that we might be children of God. You see, if you place your trust in Jesus Christ, the rest of the world, matter of fact, you, may look at yourself and see Leah, but God looks at you and he sees Rachel. No matter how ugly you are on the inside, if you trust in Jesus Christ, he sees you clothed in the righteousness of Christ and he is delighted in you. We're going to sing a song in a minute. Many of you may be familiar with it. It goes like this. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood in righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. And then I love this verse. When darkness veils his lovely face, as it did in Leah's case, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. Where is your hope? Place your hope in Jesus Christ the rock, the foundation that satisfies all the longings of our heart. Let's pray. God, we come to you confessing, Lord, that we do often place our hope in the things of this world. We place our hope in good things, Lord. We place our hope in things like family, like romance, like marriage, God. But we often exalt them above our relationship with you, Lord. We, we set them as our foundation, God, and our joy is contingent on them, God. And for this, we pray for your forgiveness, Lord. We thank you that you sent Jesus to die for us, to die for our idolatry, God. Lord, we pray that you would help us place ourselves on you as the foundation of our lives, God. And that we might have joy knowing that you look at us. And although the world might see us as Leah, you see us as Rachel and you are ravished with us. You are delighted with us. You enjoy us because of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.